everybody. I am Casey Forbes. And I'm Sarah Cuvion. And this is Let the Good Crimes Roll. Y'all, this is our final episode. Yay! Of the Jennings 8. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, y'all. Didn't mean to scare anybody who likes the podcast. Yeah, we're not quitting. We are rolling out of Jennings after this podcast. And I don't anticipate us ever really going back unless... And stay the tuned happens. to the very end because Sarah's going to tell us exactly where we're rolling to. We will announce that at yeah. the end. Then it won't be a series. <laughs> we need a break from the series. So this is episode eight. I've named it Fallen Children. It's based off something Teresa said, and I thought it was really sweet, but it is chapter five, God Don't Sleep. Okay, so before we begin, Sarah is going to brief everyone on the timeline because I know this is a very busy documentary. There are a lot of people involved. Yes. So Sarah, you take the lead and and give us the timeline. Okay, so I got this little quick recap from um, a website called Bayou Justice, and it's written by H.L. Arledge, and it was written on March 24th, 2020. So it's, it's somewhat recent. It's really, honestly, the most recent thing I could find written on all this. We have Sheila Como who died on March 19th, 1999. Now, she's not actually part of the Jennings 8, but she was an important part of this story because we do believe that she was somewhat related to all of these incidents, right? Yes. We, okay. th- there's a link between yes. her and the rest of them. So of the Jennings 8, the first death we have is Loretta Lynn Chasson, and she died six years after Sheila Como. She actually died shortly after telling family members that the Jennings police arranged for her to spy on a drug deal for them. And she was 28 years old. On June 18th, 2005, the body of 30-year-old Ernestine Daniels Patterson turned up in a canal near a Louisiana Highway 102. And she was actually found five miles south of Loretta's location. On March 18th, 2007, 21-year-old Kristen Gary Lopez was found nude in a body of water. So on May 12th, 2007, a driver spotted 26-year-old Whitney Dubois' naked body um, on the side of a public road. On May 29, 2008, another driver found Laconia Muggy Brown near the roadside, partially nude and doused in bleach. On September 11, 2008, hunters reported a foul smell in a wooded area, and authorities found the skeletal remains of 24-year-old Crystal Shea Benoisino. Then on November 2nd, 2008, a video camera recorded 17-year-old Brittany Gary at a dollar store. And then two weeks later, police found her body near a highway in Jennings. August 19th, 2009, seven hours after family members in Jefferson Davis Parish reported her missing, highway workers discovered the body of 26-year-old Nicole Jean Guillory at the bottom of a hill near Egan Ballpark in Acadia Parish. And she actually, the examiners don't have an official ruling on her cause of death. They thought there may be asphyxiation. She may have right. been strangled to death, but there's no proof of it. Right. And really, the only official murders are who? Um, Ernestine. Ernestine and, and Muggy. And Muggy. Yeah, yes. because their necks were, were slashed. Right. The so. rest of the girls had quite a bit of, of uh, drugs in their systems, and so mm-hmm. they couldn't and, tell. And really, in the state of decomposition right. was so far along in a lot of these that they really couldn't tell what happened. Right. So now we're going to dive into this episode, y'all. I don't know about you, Sarah. This episode really makes me furious at law enforcement at... Let's just dive into it. Okay. So we start by hearing every victim's family member. They all come in. They get up every day and they go on like it's just another day. But you see, every day for us is like that day that we lost our child. 
Every day is like that. Basically just venting their frustration about the lack of progress in the case. Ethan tells us that these women's deaths really shined a spotlight on the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office. Specifically what they actually know regarding these eight deaths. Mm-hmm. What do the police know? There is such a, a shroud of darkness and secrecy around what the police know. Don't you wonder, like a lot of times when cases go cold, they will release information to the public mm-hmm. because obviously they've gone down every avenue so let's recruit people who may know that well this has never happened with the jeff davis eight we also are at lovely Boudreaux inn and the question remains how in the world is it allowed to to stay in business knowing we, this isn't like rumors these are arrests were made we know this place facilitated prostitution mm-hmm. it facilitated drug use and drug sales i mean we know this for a fact so the question that ethan poses and i loved the um editorialness of this i guess (laughs) ethan says so many years after the first homicide what was still keeping these cases from being solved what was keeping these cases from being solved and then it flashes on a picture of sheriff ricky edwards (laughs) as if to say this cat right here there's your answer the sheriff of freaking nottingham that's what's (laughs) stopping us in 2011, after years of bad publicity, Sheriff Ricky Edwards, uh, is his time comes up as sheriff. There is a sheriff's election, and a man by the name of Ivy Woods won on the promise that he would solve what happened to the eight women. Mm-hmm. I just think of my sister's dog's name is Ivy, <laughs> and she looks like a hyena. And if she hears this, she will unsubscribe to our podcast. So She's a beautiful little hyena, though. She is a pretty hyena. <laughs> and she's a shelter dog, so y'all go out and yes. adopt. Yeah. He turned out to be a big old flop. Mm-hmm. It's such a disappointment. It, there was such a great promise. It truly is. You know? And Side Pony tells Sarah, she tells us, I thought Ivy Woods would have busted this open. That was his big thing. We're going to bring new people in. You know, we're going to let new cops come in and look at these cases. Maybe we overseen something and they'll pick it up but you still haven't heard nothing he hasn't done nothing either we really had our hopes on that he would blow this case wide open he would open these case files and say wait a minute we know what's going on Mm -hmm. but of course nothing happens chief deputy chris ivy says that no one will talk to law enforcement and he explains that there was a black cloud over the former sheriff's department which has lingered onto the new sheriff's department the new administration Mm -hmm. but can you blame the people i mean he says this but when you look at the situation as a whole people have come forward yeah there are concrete leads and nothing happens with it ethan says that over the course of three years he has pulled many case files and from what he saw there were a ton of concrete statements from witnesses with firsthand knowledge of these homicides it completely goes against the sheriff's narrative that they don't have enough to solve this mm-hmm. or to at least solve one of them right don't you think like there's such they're, they're pushing this agenda of it being a serial killer so hard that the idea of say Ernestine not being a part of the Jeff Davis 8 that she was simply murdered by two men there's evidence of it mm-hmm they won't even look at that. An example that Ethan gives of firsthand knowledge, our friend Chad Richard, 
<laughs> Y'all remember him? Chad was the guy who disputed uh, his ex-brother-in-law's claim about victim number four, Whitney. Right, right, That's right. Chad. That's our friend Chad. Chad says in an effort to get off drugs, he went to a rehab in Logansport, Louisiana, which who knew there was a place called Logansport, Louisiana? There is. <laughs> and none other than our good friend, Frankie Richard, is there. I mean, this dude shows up everywhere. Everywhere well, Sarah, in this story. Of everything that Frankie could be responsible for. <laughs> You know, he's in the ID one. You can see him cooking. He makes a very nice roux. So maybe on the cook squad. No, he gets put in charge of laundry. Yeah. This guy is so addicted to drugs. I'd be worried he'd drink the bleach. No. And he has his own little coffee pot. (laughs) (laughs) He has his own chair. He has his own little coffee section. It's like the little nook. That's like their little gathering nook where all the guys go and they just yeah, chit-chat. I cannot imagine this man doing my laundry. No. He would just throw bleach with all these colored I mean, items. Guys, if you do nothing else to dig a little deeper into this, this story, just Google a picture of Frankie Richard. A Please. recent one. A yeah. recent one, because then you'll understand why we... I'd, why well, I wouldn't want this. him responsible for washing my clothes. You know, they'd come out smelling like a skunk. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Or he'd forget about him and they'd be all sour like some I mean, of I us. Know, yeah, I know he's in rehab jobs. and all, but like, I just don't think But he... who put him in charge of laundry? I know. And give him a coffee nook. <laughs> you know, this man, how does this man finesse his way into the, like the best gigs? I... Is he is he like charming or something to in in real life? Because he doesn't seem that way on camera. No, he's pretty gross on he's camera. Very gross. Bless Ugh. It. Bless it. Oh gosh. So while uh while having a spot of coffee, Frankie confesses to Chad that he murdered Whitney and Kristen. While we were sitting in there drinking coffee, Frankie did confess to killing Whitney Newball. He said he had beaten and killed Whitney at his mama's house in a camper trailer on the side where his brother Billy used to stay. Then he had placed her in a 55-gallon drum behind his mama's house. And he also confessed to killing Christian. He never went into detail of what took place about Christian. I didn't, I didn't get into details with him. I just listened to what he'd speak of. Uh, Frankie wasn't a person you pushed for answers. Now, keep in mind, they're in rehab, so he's not, presumably he's not on any mind-altering substances. Right, he should be So he sober. should be lucid, and he's saying, that he's admitting these things to Chad. Now, so, I mean, we do have to remember that he's been a crackhead for years, so I'm sure his brain was fried. We have yeah, to take that into account. I feel like, though, that those are some things that y- you wouldn't really just, you wouldn't make that up. You wouldn't just right. say that just to say it, no matter what you've been on. Yeah. You know? So Chad reports this to the administrators of the rehab, and within 24 hours, Frankie is completely sober and is allowed to go home. Oh. Oh, well, that's I mean, what they say. They're like, yeah. He's, you're free to go. And nothing ever becomes of it. That's very convenient. Ethan says people have put themselves in danger reporting credible leads to the task force and seemingly it all just goes into a black hole. To me, throughout this documentary, a fog of despair and gloom just lingers throughout. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's sad. Yeah. That's why it's hard for us to find any humor in some of this. It's this idea that the higher ups are just not answering questions that deserve to be answered. But for the first time... We have a speck of hope. It comes in the form of two retired state police officers who I just adore. Yeah, they are precious little angels, those two. Oh. I was a Louisiana State Trooper for 20 years. I retired as a deputy commander with the state police. When these murders first started happening, I and my wife, like everybody else, were concerned 
We watched the news. We listened to all the different reports. But we assumed that the, the sheriff and the task force were going to get to the bottom of this and that they were doing their job. But as time elapsed, I was alarmed and, 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 and quite frankly disgusted that nothing had been done, nothing had been solved. I was a Louisiana State Trooper for 20 years, dealing with um, gambling and prostitution and narcotics. I saw all these girls getting killed and wondering what, what was going on, why wasn't something done. I just didn't quite understand why they could not have solved these crimes. They also were frustrated with the lack of progress in the case. Yeah. And the seeming corruption that just that just enwraps the police office. Their names are Bucky Miette and Tanny DeVille. Now, they are these sweet old men. They and, really and are. They they are like really the only police figures in this whole scenario that that you're like, okay, police are actually good, you right? Know? And they're retired. Yeah, and they're retired. They couldn't do much when they were uh, state police, but mm-hmm. now that they're retired, they're like, no, we want to see what's going on here because they were frustrated too. Right away, there were names that started to come out, and the first was Warden Terry Guillory. Mm, Everyone's that favorite warden. So I'm gonna I'm about to give a trigger warning, y'all. We're about to talk about sexual assault. So if that bothers you, I just want to give you a heads up before we jump into it. They start digging in old cases, and what they heard was Terry was known for having sex with the inmates, and they're like, I mean, I would think that would be malfeasance in offices, <laughs> to say the least. Is it just me, or wouldn't y'all think that as well? They came across court cases where basically female inmates had filed lawsuits against the Jeff Davis Parish Jail for sexual misconduct while Terry was the warden. The litigation was settled and the man who was actually accused, his name is Mike Ivory, committed suicide and everything just got dropped. At the time, Sheriff Edwards gives an interview. Um, He says, I knew nothing about the allegations and I have no further comment. Don't you just wonder, like, who's running your jail? Exactly. If you don't know this, like... How- You're the sheriff. Like, the buck stops with you. Like, wh- right. why do don't you know about this? Exactly. Like, why is it until you're going into court that you find out that your your wardens are sleeping with these yeah. with these inmates? Bucky and Tanny, I can't get these names. Like, they are so perfect for <laughs> no for, for little, little investigators. Bucky and Tanny started looking at other complaints against the jail. The complaints went back all the way to 2002 when a deputy was charged ultimately with the rape of a female inmate. The case resulted in a plea deal with malfeasance in office and that was it. I don't know if he was fired. I would assume he would. Why did he not go to jail for rape? That is a great question. And this is just me speculating but it's like did it get resolved to that because the girl said well you know I consensually had sex with him. I I don't understand why he's not in jail for actual rape. It boggles the mind. One of the witnesses in this 2000 2002 case was Terry Guillory's cousin and the final victim of the Jeff Davis Satan, Nicole Guillory. All right, July 23rd, 2002. Interview conducted Detective Danny Sims, Detective Terry Guillory, with Nicole Guillory. What's your full name, Nicole? Nicole G. Tell us about what's been going on since you've been in jail. I have boy cousins um, because Terry and Nicole are first cousins, even yes. though Terry seems to 
think that that's still okay to sleep with your first cousin. Yeah. But so we are with Nicole. She's in an interrogation room. First of all, I don't know anything about, thank God, being sexually assaulted. I I have been in very uncomfortable positions with men that I didn't appreciate. But I've never been sexually assaulted. But I can tell you in those situations, I wanted to see another woman. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted to be away. If I'm in a situation with a man who makes me feel uncomfortable, for me, I wanted to be another woman. Right. Nicole was not sexually assaulted, but she was being interviewed to discuss sexual misconduct that went on in the jail. Mm -hmm. She's in a room with three men. There are no women. Yeah. Now, this is the video that we see in the documentary. And the whole time the camera is focused on Nicole. And just, you can see a little bit of him, but just off camera slightly is Terry Guillory. Correct. Her cousin. Her Her first cousin. She says that she does know firsthand that the female inmates are sleeping with the the jailers Mm -hmm. because she herself has slept with one of them and she names the man, which I'm not going to name him, but she named him. Mm -hmm. It's not enough for them to say, look, where did this happen? Give us details without making yourself feel uncomfortable. Where did where did this take place? Give me an outline to where maybe we can find some some TV footage of some CCTV footage of them pulling you in there, et cetera, et cetera. No, no. Her cousin, Terry, it, oh God, it's so so creepy. Cringy y'all. I mean, cause he asks for details from his cousin about this sexual act. It is disgusting. And I could not imagine really describing that to any guy. No, but let alone my cousin. Or it really, to to me, I'd be like, look, I'd be more comfortable speaking to a woman. Do you Mm -hmm. have a police woman who can come in here Mm -hmm. and I will, y'all can record me saying it, but I've got three men staring me down, asking me very invasive questions. I don't even want to say No, we're not going to say them because it it made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe that he, because it just wasn't necessary. It wasn't. You prick. Why? Why are you putting her through that? Right. We're with Nicole's mom and she tells us that she liked being in jail. Nicole liked being in Mm -hmm. jail. We know that her final days were pretty bad. Mm -hmm. From the day the first victim was killed, Loretta, Nicole told her closest family members that she knew who perpetrated the murders. She point blank said it was the police. Mm -hmm. She told Pop Taylor that in the past. She told her mom and she told her older sister. And after Loretta was killed, she became so paranoid she locked her in her bedroom for two weeks and anyone who tried to find out what was going on with her she said I just can't talk about it because she was terrified um, or if she started to try and talk about it she would just clam up mm-hmm. because she realized she was saying too much so we're about to we're going to take a quick little dive Ethan says that many of the women who died were witnesses to other Jennings 8, eight deaths mm-hmm. so for example Muggy Brown victim number five she claimed to have seen Loretta Lewis in the canal before she was found by the fishermen. Loretta Lewis was the first victim. Right. Kristen Lopez, victim number three, she was actually interrogated in uh, Loretta Lewis's death. And we're told that... When Loretta got down, Terry Gilry told me I had to bring her down at the station. They wanted to question Kristen, Kristen. in the Loretta murder. Yes. Kristen was apparently pulled into a room. The door was closed. The interrogation happened, and Kristen comes out shaken. And I tried to talk to her, and she kept saying, Mama, I can't say And That's how she left me. She never would tell me what was going on. She wouldn't tell you what she knew about it? She wouldn't tell me anything. I mean, we all tried to talk to her. 
they were scared, them girls. That's the way I feel. Kristen was pulled into an interrogation room. The interrogation happened. Kristen came out. She was shaken. She wouldn't tell anyone anything, not even her mother. She died a couple, not long after. Mm-hmm. Muggy was interviewed. Now, Muggy is victim number five. She was interviewed as a witness in the Ernestine Patterson investigation. They don't go into detail how she, maybe she was a witness mm-hmm. who saw the two guys right. with her, with Ernestine. Brittany Gary, who is victim number seven. Seven. And also Teresa's daughter, she announced in front of a crowd with multiple witnesses that Uncle Frankie murdered Whitney Dubois. Now. That's a biggie. Um, that is, yeah. Like multiple people told the task force, we heard her say it. Yeah. And Frankie himself, like, didn't he admit to Chad Richard that yes. he killed her? Yes. So. That's two stories that, that I mean, have been told. I mean, these are pretty... I mean, these are pretty significant. Like, how would Chad know? And, and I mean, I guess there are rumors that circulate, mm-hmm. but this was before Brittany. Brittany was, and then Brittany became yeah. a victim. Crystal Benoit, who was number six, six. told Brittany Gary, who was number seven, that she knew who killed Muggy. So we see a report where a witness approached the task force months before Nicole was killed and told them that Nicole was going to be the next victim. And she was. Now, did they do anything not that we know of so there was like no like how like going get the witness or, or, yeah. yeah i mean right i mean she called it and she was right and i i mean like how did she know this it's it, it is insane and it's day i mean this was taken before nicole was killed yeah so it's january of 2014 ethan brown publishes a piece about the jennings eight And as a result, he is inundated with tips from readers. One of these messages was from a reporter who said was an expert on the KKK. How does one become an expert on the KKK? Yeah, exactly. I don't want to know anything about them. I know. I mean... I was telling you before we started recording, like, I didn't realize, like, the KKK was um, this official group. I really just thought it was some backwoods boys, like, dressing in sheets and doing awful things. Idiots. I didn't know, like, this is, like, an on-paper kind of thing. Right. And who's signing off on this? Exactly. Who like, is hello. issuing this? Okay, okay. Ku Klux. Is that the Ku Klux? Ku Klux? What is it? Ku Klux Klan? Ku Klux Klan. Oh, uh, yes, the Ku Klux Klan of uh, Jefferson Davis Parish. You have your charter. Ding! I mean, where do you find the do y'all information? Not have flag let words? Where Where can we? Because oh, I'm just curious. Do we have any around here that I don't know about? I'm sure we do. I hope not. I hope not. That's horrible. Because, y'all, just, come on, y'all. This is 2021. Can we like, just all be equal to one exactly, another? Get over yourselves. Right, come and not on. hate each other about, you know, this. I had y'all we might live in a little bubble because we don't practice in such behavior in where we're from yeah nobody that well at least that that I know of no I mean and that shows how different we are because I love finding people that are different from me and you know new people yeah and I just like I want to make them my best friend Right. You know? It's so interesting yeah. to me. You know, just different I mean, cultures. If and... you're constantly surrounded by people who are like you, that's just, that's boring. Exactly. You know? And you don't grow at all as a human. It's like my niece, Maddie. She just turned 18, y'all. She's so different from me, but I like love being around. She, now she's definitely a teenager and doesn't love being around I was going to say, how does she feel about us name <laughs> dropping her in our podcast? She doesn't. Oh, well, she, apparently she does not listen, so. Oh! I know. I was, oh! I was like, um... 
Maddie. Maddie Blue. That's way to support me. Thanks a lot. But yeah, so she's completely different from me, but yeah. I love being around her because she's so different. Right. And she has a different way of thinking. Yes. And she's so artsy and talented. Yeah. And like, I'm like none of that. And she, I feel like she just broadens my horizons. She does. Little angel. The reporter who is a professional on the KKK, tells Ethan that he was working on a story involving a former Lake Arthur. Remember, Lake Arthur is next to Jennings. Lake Arthur police officer by the name of Raymond Mott. Now, in the last episode, I had thrown out a name and I said, don't forget that name. You can forget that name because I, I confused him with Raymond Mott. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking it was Raymond Mott for some yeah. reason, but it wasn't. That's, That's okay. I actually already forgot. Good. Just keep on forgetting. You don't need to know him. <laughs> Raymond Mott was a narcotics officer with the Lake Arthur Police Office. He originally did not know Terry Guillory very well. Mm -hmm. He he didn't know him personally. But when he would arrest people, he would say, look. I didn't know Terry Guillory personally. But when you arrest somebody for narcotics, you try to get them to roll over and give you some information. And one of the things I always told the informants that I've had is you have to work off three charges or give me a dirty cop. And when people would hear that, give me a dirty cop, uh, Terry Guillory's name 80% of the time popped up. You either work off three, you can become my informant, I can help you get out of this, but you can either work off three previous arrests or give me a dirty cop. Mm -hmm. And he says 80% of the time, people were like, Terry Guillory. Yeah. Dirty cop. Now, I wonder if they just threw that name out there or if they had like actual proof that he was or stories that he was a dirty cop or what. I don't know. Raymond did say that once he, because Terry eventually becomes Raymond's boss. That's Mm -hmm. how it all kind of circles in. He approaches Terry about some of the rumors that are Mm -hmm. being said that he was involved with the Jennings Eight, that he had sex with them, that he knew more than he was saying. And Terry supposedly, according to Raymond, said, believe 95% of what you hear. Yeah. That sounds kind of like a confession. I know. Not a whole lot of good things are said about this man, so. Right. And so, this is, it's not funny, because we're we're not at the protest yet. We're going to talk about one other thing that I thought was. (laughs) Terry, basically, over time, he does tell Raymond, according to Raymond, because Raymond is here. He's a part of the documentary. He says that Terry Guillory told him there's quite a bit he could tell him about the cases. He knew that it wasn't just one murder. There were multiple murders. Raymond decides to write this in a report. Sarah, (laughs) who checks these reports before it gets turned in? That would be none other than Terry Guillory. Come on, Raymond. (laughs) Now, now if you're going to write up something about this fella, why would you knowingly hand it to him? Why wouldn't you like bypass him and and go to someone else? Yes, yes. Of course. Now, other people have done things previously and and they got in trouble. But what do you think is going to happen when you turn in something that says, Warden Terry Guillory has confessed? Well, I think that report is going to coincidentally go missing. It did. Like like the evidence. It's going to end up in the evidence room where it can go missing. Yeah. Thanks Thanks to Warren Gary. Gary. When he said that, I was like, I was like, really, Raymond? Idiot. Come on. And Raymond's like, uh, yeah, nothing ever came of it. Yeah, I never heard anything else about it. I wonder yeah. why. Maybe because there's a big shred box. That's yeah. All, it's all oh, in there. Oh, you know that's in Terry Guillory Shredder. Yes. It's just, it's so crazy. And then Raymond is also a very good narcotics cop. Mm-hmm. And 
I didn't really understand this part. I mean, kudos to him. But every time he'd make a, a, a arrest, he would put it, his name and the drug dealer, he would put the story in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And now he says so that the community could know who was making these arrests and, and who the drug dealers were. Right. So they could steer clear. But I don't know. I'm kind of like... <laughs> so every time he like did something good he would like promote it in the newspaper about himself Just a little pat on the back <laughs> Raymond. well Raymond got called into Terry Guillory's office and Terry Guillory was like Terry Guillory and I had several conversations based on my job performance he was telling me that I can't do narcotics work in a small town like I do for a larger department And then Terry called me in the office one day as assistant chief and gave me a direct order to stop making drug bust. People are tired of reading about you and your drug bust in the newspaper. Now stop. You're making too many arrests and I'm ordering you to stop because people are tired of reading your name in the newspaper. You're making too many arrests. Like what? You need to stop. That's what was that's what he was told. I mean, come on. What type of circus did we just land in? That's what I just want to say. So this is where things get really strange. And this is how the reporter who knows all about the KKK met Raymond. Mm -hmm. Raymond thought (laughs) that he was going to a protest to protest against illegal immigration and its effects on the government. What it, in fact, was... <laughs> I'm still laughing about this. ...was a KKK rally. Don't you just hate when that happens? Girl, <laughs> you ever walked into a party and everybody's dressed in, like, KKK outfits? No. And you're like, I mean... I didn't get the memo. Now, I don't know about y'all listening, but I've never accidentally walked into a Klan rally. No! So, how... <laughs> Like, so you, how, like, were the people not wearing their clan hats walking up? I mean, now, and if I were to accidentally walk into a clan rally, what I would, would you be do, like, Sarah? I would turn myself around and leave because my beliefs do not align with those. Uh, no, no not so at what, all. But what did our little friend here do? He decided to get a matching <laughs> shirt. Oh, yeah. And pose for pictures because he wanted to get information. He wanted to go undercover. And and I will, to his credit, he gathered, he created a case file. He turned all his the information into the FBI. And the, the only thing that happened was the charter was, was ended in Louisiana. Who now, gave these people a charter? Did y'all know that the Klan has charters? What is a charter? I'm I don't not even sure. Know, but apparently that makes the Klan official. Who knew that happened? Who in the like, hell? I wonder if they have like if they have to turn in like taxes and stuff. I bet they I do. mean, are they like that like, official? Like are they ordering mugs? Is this like a thing? Are they getting tax breaks on like their hoods that they yeah, order? Y'all, this is I ridiculous. I bet you they're making a profit on those hoods. You know they are. I just want to know when he ordered that shirt. Because y'all in the picture, yeah. he was wearing a Nazi shirt. Yeah. So, now, I mean, you I, took yeah. this job. You took this. If you didn't know you was going to a Klan rally like you claim, um, how did you know to wear a Nazi yeah, shirt? That's a little suspicious. I have another question, too. Um, Are those tattoos on his head? Or is it, or does he have like a special haircut? Wait, what tattoos? Did you notice like when they were interviewing him that he's got... At first, I thought maybe he had like some special haircut, but it looks like tattoos on his <gasps> bald head. No, I didn't notice You have to be looking wide. But I... Yeah. Again, no. turn the lights up, document people. Please. <laughs> it's too dark. Long story short, Terry Guillory is not very happy about the fact that Raymond put in a report that Terry confessed to him that he knows exactly what's going on with the Jennings ape mm-hmm. because Raymond is a moron and turns said report into Terry to check, I guess, check for grammar errors. I don't know. I don't even know. Should I not have a semicolon there, Terry? Is that what he's supposed <laughs> oh, to check? Oh, you think Terry's going to know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, 
cannot believe. <laughs> so after sitting on these, this picture of Raymond at this Klan rally for what, four months? Four months. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the interesting part is they knew this photo existed. They had mm-hmm. it in their possession and did nothing about it until... Terry got pissed off about, yes. you know, Raymond ruining his agenda. Yeah. So then that picture comes to light and... he Yeah, and Raymond gets fired and Raymond doesn't even... I'm not defending Raymond because I don't know what Raymond's all... I don't know if Raymond was... Ethan says that he that Raymond felt guilty about going, but then Raymond says he didn't know it was a Klan rally. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how the other KKK members walking up next to you wouldn't have given it away, but... Right. You know, maybe he just wasn't, maybe he thought it was a Halloween costume. I don't know. Um, Pretty awful one. But anyway, so Raymond gets fired because of the picture. I would think that though, like the FBI could step in and say, wait a minute. No, he had a big hand in shutting down KKK charter. Yeah. I mean, in this instance, though, the the FBI is not very helpful in this entire case, at least from what we see. At all, they the it's, FBI to me the the fact that the FBI didn't step in and say y'all have had long enough with this we're gonna take over yeah. it really makes me mad at the FBI for not doing that yeah for real I, I don't know how that happens but nothing happens there's no investigation into what Raymond alleged I mean mm-hmm. nothing happens to Terry Bucky and Tanny um are two retirees they reached out to Ethan and the three put together any and all information regarding the ties between law enforcement and the Jennings Eight. They put together a case with solid evidence and they decided that the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office could not be trusted. Mm Mm-hmm. So they wanted to turn in the evidence that they found to the FBI. Also, I know, (laughs) FBI ain't any better either. Both guys asked Sheriff Ivy Woods if they could have a private meeting with him. Mm -hmm. He agrees to it. They turn in evidence to him as well and they ask for, you know for a follow-up and Ivy Woods says oh I'll get back with y'all in a, in a couple of days and it never happened so again Ivy Woods obviously he's no different than Ricky Edwards both of the guys also were asking like why did the FBI not get involved mm-hmm they That's both question, question. That. because it's not it wouldn't be a reflection on this this all happened before Ivy Woods was ever in office. Yeah. It's not like there's gonna be a reflection on Ivy and his staff. He stepped into this situation and he always he he went in on a promise of getting this resolved. Yeah. So let's resolve it. I just I don't understand why he didn't go in and clean house. I know. I, I, I mean, was it too widespread? I just don't understand. I don't understand that, like, nothing happened. No. So, Loretta Lewis, who's victim number one, her brother Nick tells us that... I was told by one person, I met with this lady some years back. She wanted to meet with me, and she wanted to tell me her part and the whole thing about how she was helping with the investigation. One of the things that stuck out, she told me that it goes higher than we think it is. Not just the authorities in this town. It goes higher. Years ago, when the task force was put together, he spoke to a member on that task force and they told him that it goes way higher than the community thinks. Mm-hmm. And that brings us back to the Boudreaux Inn. Oh, our lovely little Boudreaux Inn. I hate that name. Oh, no. um, but it, it goes back to why this place was even allowed to continue to run. Ethan discovers that the Boudreaux Inn had a gambling license, which is very hard to get and maintain in Louisiana. Any minor discrepancy could cause you to lose your license. So how did the Boudreaux Inn keep this license? There was proven prostitution, proven drug usage. Someone in law enforcement had to be protecting this place. Mm-hmm. So Ethan pulls the lease for the Boudreaux Inn. 
and discovers it was originally operated by the guy named Martin Guillory. And they never address the fact that Terry Guillory, I know, right? Nicole Guillory, Ethan, Martin Guillory, are we related? Yeah, Ethan, is that Uncle Uncle Big G over there? Ethan does say he's like, that wasn't particularly helpful with the amount of people in this town with the last name of Guillory. <laughs> but he goes by Big G. Martin Guillory is a field representative of a U.S. congressman named Charles Bustani, mm-hmm. who was a representative from 2005 to 2017. That's convenient. Ethan is also pointed to Charles Bustani by Frankie Richard, but I, Frankie to me is not a reliable source. Right. I mean, he's going to send you down rabbit holes so mm-hmm. people aren't looking at him. In 2016, Bustani was running for Congress. Now, I'm going to kind of gloss over this because I don't necessarily think, and even Ethan says, he doesn't think Bustani is necessarily involved with the homicide. Right. The point of dragging this man's name into this is that there are higher ups that are protecting certain aspects of this community. Mm-hmm. Like the Boudreaux Inn. Right. I did look. Do you know what a field representative is? I guess I looked it up, but I forgot what it was. I mean... It must have not been that impressive if I forgot what it was. Okay, so if he's a congressman, he's in D.C. for the majority of the time, or at least when they're in session. Um, so he's got people here... Gotcha, okay. ...that can report back to him. So you can go to that field representative and yes. say, this is my issue, and he yes. goes to him. Or if somebody has an issue that they need to bring to the congressman's attention, they can go through the field representative. He's like a middleman, basically. Gotcha, Okay. So, I mean, but that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, you need to know who So he's like, uh, he's officially on the payroll. It's not just like, oh, he's like this guy that we're just saying does this stuff. No, it's official. He has like an actual job title role. Wow. I don't know. He might have a 401k. Who knows? I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, he represents Charles Bustani. Mm-hmm. He really does. A relative of Nicole Guillory, who is our victim number eight, told Ethan that Nicole said that she knew Charles Bustani from the Boudreaux Inn. Right. South residents Jessica said that Kristen, who was victim number three, had had sex with Charles Bustani. He paid her. Then they got into an argument. Jessica says she doesn't know what the argument was about. But, you know, we know that that there was involvement with him there. And then Frankie says he heard that Loretta Lewis was one of Charles Bustani's favorite girls. Right. So Ethan talks with, they call him Big G for Guillory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Martin Guillory, he completely denies all of these allegations and he threatens to sue Ethan Brown. From a legal standpoint, just because someone says he was there, it doesn't mean he was actually there. But Commander Cormier also adds into that. Doesn't mean it wasn't. It doesn't mean he wasn't. Exactly. When he said that, I was like, you notice he said that and he almost had like a, it's like his his eye, eyebrow perked up, you mm-hmm. know, like, doesn't mean he wasn't. Yeah, though. I think he was trying to say something without actually saying it, you know? Yes, I think so too. He just didn't want to get in trouble. Right, right. And because, there, I mean, he doesn't want to get sued either, exactly. probably. So Ethan Brown's book, Murder in the Bayou, it's released. And Ethan Brown is, he got some brass balls, y'all. Because he straight up put the congressman's name in there. Yes, he did. Of course, there was complete, there was just an outrage because of it. I Mm -hmm. mean, Charles Bustani was a conservative politician. And what went on at the Boudreaux did not align with what, his constituents wanted of him. Mm -hmm. So for his name to be tied, even if he's not involved in the murders, but for his name to be tied there to say, this man is going there engaging in prostitution with these women. It's pretty outrageous. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. It's bad. Yeah. And so Charles, you know, he 
inter- gets an interview on, uh, I believe it was Fox News. The headline yeah. of the Washington Post story reads, A new prostitution scandal roils a Louisiana Senate race. The claims stem from a book written by journalist Ethan Brown that examined the unsolved murder of eight prostitutes in Louisiana. Joining us now, Republican Congressman Charles Bustani. These are scurrilous, baseless lies. Let me be very clear. It's politically motivated at a time when my campaign has significant momentum. I've got to ask you, part of being in the Senate is is a, is a judgment issue. And I'm wondering if it goes at all to the issue of judgment that you had this staffer who I don't think anyone would question whether or not he was involved in running this Bordeaux Inn where these eight women who were prostitutes hosted clients. Why keep him on the staff? Why have that liability? Well, we didn't know about this until this just broke. And uh, he hid this from us. And when we found out about it, uh, we immediately terminated his, his, his deal. He actually offered his resignation uh, and, and, was sh- and felt shame that he hid this from us. That's where they called it the, the Bordeaux, Bordeaux Inn. Inn. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at your, look at your, get your glasses. And, and the thing that got to me was <laughs> Charles said, they asked him, they said, did you have any idea that your field representative owned such a place? And he's like, oh, no, I did not. I had no clue. But then we find out later that he admitted that he had a town hall meeting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who the hell has a town? This place, this wasn't like the Hilton. Yeah. Now, after you uh, Google what Frankie Richard looks like, Google what the Boudreaux Inn looks like, and you'll understand why we don't think a town hall meeting should have. Said I had a town hall meeting there, and I left, and I never came back. Girl, Mm -hmm. how do you know? I mean, so that admits that he was there. It doesn't. It doesn't prove that he did anything. But I mean, we know he was there. And Martin Guillory, his field representative, says, to my knowledge, he's never been. here. Mm -hmm. And he admits he had been there for quote unquote, uh, again, who the hell would go there for a town? I'd be like, is it the Boudreaux Inn? I'm not going there. No. Uh, Even if he didn't know what it was, the second you pull up and you see that place, you'd be like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope. (laughs) This ain't the right place. Yeah, you like like lock your doors and like back out slowly. Because of this scandal, Charles Bustani loses his Senate race and he did sue Ethan mm-hmm. Brown, but after he lost his Senate primary seat, he uh he dropped the suit. He did, which I mean, maybe he just was worried about money. I, I don't know. No, it, I think this is my personal. Opinion. Go ahead. I think he just that was just part of the show. He was trying to restore his reputation. Like, no, this is yeah. so wrong. I'm suing you because I'm right and you're wrong. And then once he lost, he's like, well. F this. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and drop well, the suit. Well, that, and I mean, if there's a suit, then that means there's going to be some digging. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be witnesses called mm-hmm. in to say, uh, no, I know that man. Yeah. And I think he realized, like, this is just going to get drawn out and right. there will be no redemption at the You end bring of this. in some girl and you say, um, he's got a mole on <laughs> his right butt cheek. Uh, Mr. Bustani, <laughs> will you drop your pants and let's see? And there's a mole on his right butt cheek. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's going to be nothing dignified about that process. No, no. Bustani does say he has absolutely no involvement with the Jeff Davis 8 women. And he, he, he says, my heart goes out to the families. And he truly mm-hmm. hopes that there's justice for these girls. This is where even Ethan says he doesn't believe Bustani was involved with any of the deaths. It just shows another layer of power in place that could possibly be preventing the case from being solved. Right. That was that was my take on it, too. Right. He's like the shield that kept really the really everything in place. So nothing could really get unraveled here. 
And probably how the Boudreaux Inn was able to uh, keep, keep their, their license. Yeah. Because we learned, I mean, the Boudreaux Inn was hopping during the the Jennings 8 saga. Yeah. I mean, that it, it was at the height of its glory, whatever glory that place could have mm. during that saga. Ethan tells us, I hoped that the book would provide a highly detailed, incredible narrative about what actually happened to these women. I also hoped that there would be movement of some kind and the book could spur a new investigation. That never happened. He wrote the book to bring light to what actually happened to the Jennings Eight, also with the hopes that a new investigation would be launched. And none of that happened, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. As we sit here today, there is nothing new with this case. Right. And there is still a steel wall that you cannot bust through to get any information about what they know. I mean, Ethan knew how to get information, but he had to jump through hoops to get this information to make it public. Yeah. For him to even see it. And it's not just Ethan that feels this way. Bucky and Tanny both said that they have hit every avenue that they, they've gone down every avenue mm-hmm. that they could possibly go to. And they've been met with nothing but indifference from the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office. Exactly. I, I, I mean, mean and what else can you do? You've, right. gone, you've gone over their heads to the FBI and still nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So what 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 else is there? What else can you do? Because I believe it was Tanny that told us that he turned in this evidence to the FBI. The FBI agent was very excited and said, Mm -hmm. you know, this is good stuff. And then nothing happened. Nothing happened. Somebody squashed it. Yep. So who squashed it? Commander Cormier says that all of the cases are still open and being actively worked. And he also says that Frankie Richard is still a person of interest. Y'all, Frankie wants to clear his name. So how do you clear your name? You volunteer for a, a polygraph test. Yeah. Have they not seen Dr. Phil with Jack? You cannot be on mind-altering substances to and take a, a polygraph right, test. Right, right. Because it'll be inconclusive. I mean, it's just, it won't work. Y'all, Frankie is like having to be held up by the the guy who is strapping him in. I don't know how he physically did it. Because no. they show him walking in and out, and he just looks like this feeble little old man. He looks he just, like Bernie from like, my cousin Bernie. It, like there's yes. a puppet just like moving yes. his... Um, he's dead. That's the idea, is it? Cheers. That's like, exactly what it is. If he had two people that he had his arms around and like glasses mm-hmm. all the time, I would really think he died about mm-hmm. three months ago. Yep. He looks horrible. Looks horrible. Shockingly... The results are inconclusive mm-hmm. because the man can barely hold his eyes open during the test. Yeah. But Ethan does question why Frankie, who has been accused of multiple murders, so free, is so freely talking to him. It's a question that gnaws at him. But let me just, I, I will answer your question, Ethan. I think Frankie thinks he's untouchable because he is. Mm-hmm. By Frankie opening up and like telling you what he tells you, it's his way of flipping off the cops. Mm-hmm. Like y'all tried to arrest me 23 times and nothing has ever come of it. I, right. He's got this sense of no one can touch me. Mm-hmm. But Frankie says that, you know, his whole life people have tried to to get him. And now he's fighting back by telling his story, which we need subtitles for because he is so fried. So we're starting to kind of conclude 
this document documentary. The title of this comes from Teresa saying that she is still fighting for the fallen children of Jennings. It's 10 years later. People may think that I forgot that I just let it die and let it turn cold like y'all did. Not a chance in hell. Those are our fallen children. I feel like every street that every one of them children were found on them streets ought to be named after them. It shouldn't be Keystone Road. It should be Brittany Ann Lane. Whitney Dubois. Deconia Brown. Shay. Kristen. Loretta. Nicole. Teresa is awesome. Yeah. Just listening to her, she's so strong. You can tell that she's got cracks because mm-hmm. she's tired and she's heartbroken over the death of her her daughter. But she is a type of person that like if there's something bad going on, I'm standing behind her because mm-hmm. she's very brave. Yeah, she's very brave and she's she's trying to make the point that the rest of the world may have forgotten about these girls, but she has not. Right. And she never will. No. And she got when she she says, you know, they should rename the streets that these girls were were uh, were found on. And what I thought was really compelling about the way the production put this together was basically it shows every street associated with the girl's deaths Mm -hmm. but it's her naming them out yeah because we can't forget about these victims y'all these girls were so young and it's really sad and they were so loved and cherished and you know like we said with campbell campbell robertson's article they lost their footing Mm -hmm. you know and unfortunately we don't know what happened to these poor girls but we do know they deserve justice we do know that their families deserve answers yeah they didn't deserve what happened to them side ponytail sarah makes the point of if the right person would just come forward this could be resolved but who do you come forward to well and that's another thing like there are people that have come forward and nothing's happened it's and there there really is i don't know that there is an answer here because really what it would take i think is public outrage to the point where like it was they had they had no other choice the authorities had no other choice but to deal with it and it apparently isn't going to be just a like a local outrage it it would have to be like massive yeah you know for anything to happen well and it's just uh, the corruption of this police force and i'm not saying the current one but clearly the one that existed Mm -hmm. it's insane to me that these people are allowed to get away with this no just the fact that all of this is is has happened is mind-boggling and that there's no answers there's to there's it. There's still no answers. So Ricky Edwards now works for the Louisiana Sheriff's Association, which is one of the most powerful lobbying groups in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Terry Guillory is currently a detective at the Welsh Police Department in Jefferson Davis Parish. So he is still active in law enforcement. Yes. On September 13th, 2019, Frankie Richard was arrested on drug and prostitution charges um, I'm assuming they were dropped. Mm. But the thing that I find crazy about that is like, he barely knew where he was. How did he find a <laughs> prostitute? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what? I don't know. He's God, a very resourceful Frankie, man. Frankie, do you never stop? <laughs> Lord. Okay. Y'all, that's the end of it. It ends with, um, it's a very touching tribute to each one of these girls. Mm-hmm. And if you have any information, please, y'all, it's been over 10 years. I know... 
you could be scared because that's the big theme throughout all of it is that these people are terrified to come forward. But as a podcaster, as a woman, as someone who cares, please come forward. I am begging you with any information you have to resolve this because these families deserve answers. Mm-hmm. Even if it, if it was a drug overdose, these families deserve answers right. to get closure. That's what breaks my heart the most. These children these these girls deserve justice and the people responsible for their deaths need to be held accountable. And not allowed to continue to do this. Exactly. Because so, what's to stop them from doing this again? You right. Know, from it could be continuing, continuing to cover up. And we just don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. All right, Sarah. So what is your theory? What, and y'all, we are just speculating based off what we heard. I'm curious what you think is behind at least some of these. I'm I, I th- I'm under the impression it's a combination of things. Mm-hmm. I think especially Ernestine. I think she was an outlier in that her death is unrelated to the others. I agree. I think uh, Frankie is responsible for at least two of these deaths. Yes. And I think the police are responsible for some of these deaths. Yes. Because I was conflicted. I was like, okay, part of me thought that these girls were confidential informants. Mm -hmm. They got let loose and maybe drug dealers killed them. And there's just this massive cover up to show how negligent the cops are with their witnesses. Mm -hmm. But the more we dive into it with Steve Gunner, the Mm -hmm. guy who Terry Guillory shot and killed in the the shootout. I just wonder if these cops are more involved. It just escalated because I agree with you with Ernestine, but Mm -hmm. it escalated because maybe some of these girls were witnesses to other murders right right. and they had to be silenced Mm -hmm. and then after nicole died there was outrage and so whoever was doing this stopped Mm -hmm. but then the cover-up began i don't know there are definitely there are definitely some unanswered questions that really bother me questions and like and i feel bad because i want to have closure with this for our listeners right there there isn't this is still an open wound in jennings it is i mean it's been 14 15 years since Mm -hmm. the first victim was killed and there's no answers to it yeah i think I, i'm with i think ernestine i don't think ernestine was related to that i think she was yeah. unfortunate i think she was murdered mm-hmm. i think the two people who did it probably got away with it yeah because it was just too coincidental that where she showed up kind of fit with the narrative yeah. of the other deaths yeah and that could have been intentional on the murderer's part right you know, just oh i want to tie this into that yeah to deflect attention from me so right but it's but such a yeah. it's a sad case it and, is a sad case but i I'm very glad we did it mm-hmm. because I, I would like to spread awareness of, right. of these of these women. Yeah, I know it, it's it's a complicated case and there's a lot of people involved, so it yeah. may be hard to kind of ride along with us on this one. But it is a story that needed to be told, right? Because and a lot of people, light on it. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of I mean, I didn't know about this, and I know a lot of other people didn't know mm-hmm. about it. So yeah, I always thought it was a serial killer mm-hmm. that got away with it. But the more right. I watch it, I'm like, that's mm. and see, that's that's the impression you get before you really dive into it. Mm-hmm. Is it, that it is a serial killer? Yeah. But once you really start looking at all the pieces and parts, you're like. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a serial killer. I really don't. No, I don't either. I think it's much more complicated and bigger mm-hmm. than we all think. Yeah. Well, thank y'all for joining us on that one. Sarah, yay! do tell what we will be listening to, uh, what we'll be uh, covering next week. Because it is not in Louisiana. No, we are rolling out of Louisiana. So I, I watched this documentary uh, called Web of Lies. Mm-hmm. I have to double check the name, y'all. 
but <laughs> like way to be prepared, Sarah. <laughs> like rewatch it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but and I'm just gonna give you an over overview. It's basically what happens when younger kids are uh, maybe a little bit too involved on the internet and uh, the effects that can have on them and their family. And I'm not going to give too much away because it is a very interesting story. One, I think uh, many parents like myself, especially with kids around that age, will need to hear. Yeah. And we may have a special co-host. <gasps> yeah, we're hoping that we can get it. No, he said he would oh, he do will? it, okay. but I just got to get my third, my third microphone set up here. Cool. So... Yeah, we'll have that little little. We'll let y'all know who our guest, our guest co-host is next yeah. week. So. Stay tuned for that because that's gonna be fun. I'm excited too. Yeah, it'll be a different pace. And yeah, we're looking forward to um it not being Louisiana because and not being you know so yeah. dark, so 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 dark. I know, <laughs> I know. Every now and then, y'all, we're gonna hit on some really dark stuff. Yeah, you know, but we it's stuff that we think needs to be told. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what happens in true crime. This isn't exactly a, you know, happy-go-lucky I know. <laughs> we find the comedy and stuff, like yeah. when you accidentally stumble into a clan meeting. <laughs> like, who's <Stop>. buying that? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, fella. <laughs> well, thank y'all for joining us. We will be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned.